It's that time of the week again. It's that time when the latest episode of Digital Kill the Radio Star drops. Drop! It's time to waste another hour or so with David and Chris as they spout out more of their worthless music knowledge. It's time to hear them discuss the music of their youth. As well as the music of today. So kick back, relax, and have some fun with David and Chris. Digital Kill the Radio Star starts right Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the Digital Kill the Radio Star podcast. This is your host, David, and I'm joined this week by a guy that's a familiar voice to most of you as he's been on our podcast now. This will be the third time, and uh, Chris and I have been on his podcast from the Potter Than Hell podcast, Mr. Steve Wright. How are you, Steve? I am great, David. How are you? It's great to be here today. I am well. I am well. Enjoying some, uh, and it's got to be close to 80 degrees here. How how, How cold is it in Pennsylvania? We're actually having a very beautiful day here for a change. It's um, probably mid-60s right about now, which is way better than it has been. Yeah, it seems like every time I talk to you for about six months out of the year, you're just complaining about the snow. Yeah, it just it, it gets terrible up here. Well, uh, so, uh, you know, we've had you on a couple of times, and we've had uh, BC on uh, your podcast. Um, you guys have uh, really been hitting out of, par- out of the park lately. As we record this podcast, y'all just did a... Uh, uh, released an episode on the, I guess you'd say, the second half of uh, Motley Crue's career, which I really enjoyed that episode because uh, I like the crew, but I got into them kind of late. Um, I got onto, the, I got into them like when Doctor Feelgood came out, and so like I don't have this like love and affinity for those first couple albums like everybody else does. And uh, to me, when I think of Motley Crue, I think of Doctor Feelgood. Um, I love the the single, not the singles, the new songs that were put on Decade of Decadence. Like Primal Scream's my favorite Motley Crue song, um, and you know they had Teaser and Angela and the Wind, uh, Rock and Roll Junkie. I like those. And then uh, to me, the self titled album is the best Motley Crue album. And then there were some, there were a few things on um, a Generation Swine that I liked, but the uh, new Tattoo album, I, I really liked it. Uh, a lot, and I was. It was interesting to hear you guys talk because, at, at some point, I kind of felt like we were kindred spirits on a lot of um, a lot of the later day Motley Crue stuff. I know a lot of people like to bash it, but like I said, I don't have any n- nostalgia or anything about those first couple of albums. So you know, I understand if that was your introduction, why that maybe why you really like them as much. But like I said, uh, I like the stuff from Doctor Feel Good on. But you guys did an amazing episode with that. Well, I appreciate it. We had a great time doing that, and. I look at Motley Crue 
as a fan, kind of how I look at Kiss. I, I enjoy all the eras of them. And I remember when uh, when Vince left the band and we, we knew vaguely about John Karabi because we had checked out the screen before. And when that 94 album came out, we were like, oh, my God, this is amazing. Although a lot of people didn't feel that way, there's still people that won't listen to that album. And then when, you know, everything went on and then John Karabi left and Vince came back, you know, we were expecting like maybe like a Dr. Feelgood Part 2 or, you know, uh, I would even at that point taken like a Theater of Pain Part 2, which is probably my least, well, after Generation Swine is probably my least favorite Motley Crue album. But it was like, oh, Vince is back. And then like it was such a letdown when that album came out. And they went from a you know a stadium band to a to a theater band at that point, and then when New Tattoo came out, and I'm I'm glad you like that album because I think it's fantastic, and you know there's a lot of people out there that, that you know don't even know that album even exists. So if you're a Crew fan out there and you have not checked it out, absolutely check it out. Do you have the concert video of uh, that tour when Samantha Maloney was on drums? I do, I do, and actually I saw them live that year. Oh, that's cool. I see. I love yeah. that concert video um, of that, and I really love the song "Hell on High Heels." Like I, for me, it's like a top ten Motley Crue song. Um, that is, it's very underrated. Very underrated. It's very good. And that album, like I said, uh, it has some good like mid tempo songs for them, like Hollywood Ending and New Tattoo uh, are good. And you got "Hell on High Heels," and then like that "Punched in the Teeth by Love." And anyway, uh, it's interesting. Um, I tell you what ruined me kind of on Motley Crue was actually seeing them in concert. I saw them on that, when they got back with Tommy, was it the Carnival of Sins tour or whatever? Yeah. It was my first time seeing Motley Crue because um, when Dr. Feelgood came out, I was 13, and my mother was never going to let me go to a Motley Crue concert at 13. Well, you know, they, they broke up in like 92, and then... That tour with Karabi didn't go very well. They didn't go, you know, I don't think it was that big of a tour. It's by that point, I was in college and honestly had kind of gotten away from that music for a while, you know, when it quote unquote wasn't cool to listen to it. But uh, I remember me and a bunch of my friends went to uh, Shreveport, Louisiana to see them. And it just struck me like Vince Neil in concert is an absolute teetotal embarrassment. I mean, he can't even, you know, you're sitting there paying all this money to see this band, and he can't even bother to sing the words. Um, yeah, he's um, he's been mailing it in for years. Uh, we've always liked the crew, and actually, we saw the Carnival of Sins tour also, and um, it was good. It was crew, but um, I really, I really enjoyed the tour better when Samantha Maloney played with them because it seemed like they were like a. I don't know if it's because Tommy wasn't there. It was like a breath of fresh air, and she was a new face on stage, and she was a monster of a drummer. We left that show going, Tommy who? And then when they did the Carnival of Souls, the Carnival of Sins tour, um, it just it's kind of seemed like maybe a little bit of going through the motions kind of deal. But um, and, did I, and actually, did now, I say Carnival you, of Souls or yeah. Carnival of Sin? Carnival of Sins tour. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Carnival yeah, that's Souls because that was a Kiss album. Yeah, yeah. I don't want anybody to yell at me on that. Yeah, who would have thought the drummer in Hole could feel, take a time? You not because she's a, not because it's a woman, just because like when I listen to Hole, I don't think oh, there's an amazing drummer. Yeah, and you don't think you know oh, she would sound great in Motley Crue. She did. I mean, I and I love the shots of her in it, like when they're playing like Wild Side. I mean, she is tearing and she's into it too. Oh yeah, oh yeah, just tearing she's, the. You can tell she's really enjoying. She actually she looks like she's having the most fun on stage out of anybody on that show. Oh, I bet she was. 
I bet you was because I mean, I'm sure at that point, to some degree, it's not all that much fun for them. You know, they've been doing it so long, and right, you know, excuse me, you know, and at that point, they weren't doing you know performing to the size crowds they were on the Doctor Feelgood tour. Yeah, and I I do want to point out (laughs) real quick too that on the new Tattoo album, um, Randy Castillo was the drummer on that album that he drummed for Ozzy before and Lita Ford and. Um, he got sick and he had he had passed away, and that's why Samantha Maloney was in the band for the tour. But Randy Castillo was on that album. Yeah, he got like stomach cancer, or he had some type of stomach ailment in, I think yeah. in Las Vegas, and they had to do an emergency sur- emergency surgery and realized he was in bad shape. Well, what um, what what do you guys have in the works coming up on your podcast? We just recorded a uh, myself, BC, and Dylan, and my my lovely wife. We went to see kiss on the end of the road tour on her birthday on March 29th. We just recorded a, uh, like a review type, um, show of that. We had my buddy, Chris, the grandson that's been on the show many times and, uh, a, a newcomer on our show actually this week, Scott Sadowski, one of our, one of our good friends that was on the bus. So we, we did that. Um, we have a couple, actually a couple episodes coming up. They're going to be surprising. We're doing one, Pretty soon we're going to uh, do album reviews of album, a couple albums that are out this year already. And that's going to be pretty interesting because one of the choices is like, wow, just like not what you thought it would be. And um, we actually have a little Bon Jovi coming up soon. Oh, well, I'll have to listen to that one. Uh, I listen to them every week. It's one of my uh, like required uh, podcasts <laughs> I listen to every week. We I mean, it. And because uh, you guys crack me up, especially B.C., uh, he's an original. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Uh, Chris and I'll text each other sometimes. You hear what BC said on the podcast? It's so funny. Uh, well, anyway, uh, like I said, uh, most of you that are listening have, have are aware of that podcast. But just want to tell you, if you're a fan of like hard rock and metal, it's a great one to listen to. Uh, those guys give each other a hard time. That's that's half the fun um, of their podcast, and uh, it's fun when they get you riled up about something like Alice in Chains or. Uh, some of those bands that you don't like or, or, you know, your immediate, it's kind of like, you know, how Donald Trump says fake news. You just go out of format, out of format. It's not in format. Yeah. And, and that's, that's the whole thing of it. We're, I mean, we're all good friends. We like all the same type of music, but, and you know, if you listen to some of the episodes, like the album review ones we do, like, like say me and BC, like we did one on a, a typo negative album and we loved it. And BB's like, that is the worst album I ever heard of my whole life. and, and it and it's fun because you, you if if you agree all the time you, you shouldn't be doing a show together no because that's why you know you, you variety is the spice of life and everyone likes something a little different and and it's good too because BC and I are pretty much the same age BB's a couple years younger than us and then Dylan is like you know he's my son so he's like twenty five years younger than than all of us and that makes it interesting because he brings in a little bit of the newer type stuff and. And he likes all kinds of stuff. And, and he's a musician I, I as well, right? Yeah, he he's a he plays bass. He yeah, he hasn't been in a band in a while, but he's he's been in a band they had. They've recorded two CDs, so um, they're and actually they were very good. They weren't they wouldn't be in format for the Potter Than Hell podcast, but they were good. <laughs> you guys need to do one podcast that's just completely out of format, like y'all y'all review like a Celine Dion album or something. Just that would oh, that, that's that's coming. That is coming. We we have one and we're we're working on it right now, and it's going to be like, um, it's going to be very very interesting. That actually would be a great April Fool's episode, and I mean, and y'all dissect a Celine Dion uh, album. I mean, just like you would if it was Kiss Destroyer. 
just, you know, the minutia and, and, and never let in on that it was a, a gag. You know, I think that would be hysterical. I would, I would need a whole year from this April's Fools till next April Fools to listen to a whole Celine Dion album. <laughs> I would pay to hear BC's interpretation of a Celine Dion album. Kind of <laughs> like uh, on your guys' year-end episode where y'all were talking about that band that Chris loves so much, uh, Death Heaven. You know, uh-huh. <laughs> BC's like, what is this? What's going yeah. on here? <laughs> it's one of the bands you get done listening to them and like, you don't know where you love them or you hate them. Right. Like, like, I think it was like Dylan said, I don't know whether to cry or punch something. Mm-hmm. Um all right, so the reason I'm having Steve on this week is uh, Steve is a Def Leppard fan like me, and in particular, he's a fan of the album Hysteria Like Me. And you might think, oh, it'd be easy to do a podcast with somebody on the Hysteria album. It sold 25 million albums you know, around the world, 12 million in America. But uh, this is an album <laughs> that like, you either love it or you hate it for some reason now. And somewhere along the way, I think it became cool to dislike this album. Uh, even though I guarantee you all those people that are saying they don't like the album were part of the 12 million or 25 million around the world that bought it. Um, an album that was recorded basically where every song could potentially be a single. And you'll see they wound up releasing, I think, seven singles from it. Um, and so, Steve, I was listening to one of their podcasts and he was like defending the song Hysteria and, and then the album. And I was like, wow, cool. Because that would be a fun, uh, fun episode to do. And uh, it's always a good time to talk with Steve. So, Steve, uh, Def Leppard, you're a little bit older than me, so you would have had a better opportunity of of getting into them before this album came out. So, why don't you tell everybody, like, you know, the first time you heard Def Leppard, what you thought, and kind of uh, lead, describe kind of your experience with Def Leppard up until the Hysteria album came out. Okay, um, back in the day. Uh, you know, for me and my buddy Rob, I, I talk about Rob a lot on the podcast because he was my first really uh, musical friend that, we, you know, we we bonded over Kiss and then we kind of like Van Halen came into the picture. And we kind of branched out and we didn't have MTV in our town and we uh, became friends with these girls and they were like our girlfriends and stuff. And they lived a couple towns away. So we would take the bus like every day during the summer to go down to visit them and they had MTV. So at that point. Pyromania wasn't even out, but they were still they were playing videos from High and Dry. They were playing Bringing on the Heartbreak and Saturday Night High and Dry, and we were like, "Well, these guys are really good." So then we picked up the High and Dry album, which is which is fantastic. Which is if you want the the hard rock version of Def Leppard, that is the album to get. On through the night, we picked up after that. We're like, "Ah, oh, that's that's okay," but like High and Dry was just totally rocking. Then Pyromania came out. And, and we liked Pyromania from the get-go. And I remember when Pyromania came out, it kind of what it was wasn't doing good. It, it kind of kind of flopped in the beginning because I remember uh, a bunch of people were going to stay open up for Billy Squire in Philadelphia, and they had a bus trip going, and everybody was all you know high on Billy Squire. I was too young at the time to go to the show, but um, you know a lot of people came back from that show and said, "Wow!" They said they needed to flop that concert over. That those Def Leppard guys needed to to be the headliner. And Billy Squire needed to be the opener. But then the video started coming. Um, photograph and, you know, all the all the videos from the Pyromania album. And then it really hit and went went crazy. And we had that album the week that it came out. And we're like, this is great. You guys are going to love this stuff. And we've been Def Leppard fan, fans from, you know, not from the first album, but from at least from High and Dry. And... Um, I remember when Hysteria came out and we were like, 
blown away by it. It was just such a, a melodic album. And and you're right when you said before that the people that are slagging on it now, you can bet they have a copy of it somewhere or had one at one point. Yeah, it's kind of like all these people make fun of Poison, but they had those first three Poison records. You know? Oh, yeah. Um, so, yeah, so even if, even if Hysteria never would have come out, they would have still been a huge, hugely successful band. Pyromania, Eddie Trunk talks all the time about he was working at a music store in New Jersey, and they would even take the Pyromania albums and cassettes out of the box. They just threw them in the middle of the floor, and, they, and people would just run it, and they would just go. Yep. Uh, you know, Photograph and Rock of Ages, um, Too Late for Love and Foolin' were all huge songs. And then, you know, they got a, a decent amount of exposure with uh, Bringing on the Heartbreak, you know, off of uh, High and Dry. And I agree with you. Like, if you just want to hear just a pure hard rock album, High and Dry is a great example of that. Uh, Let It Go, I think, is like, it's, that's a top five Def Leppard song for me. And, you know, they're starting to they're starting to hit that a little bit more now in concert. Like, I saw them two summers ago with poison and Tesla. And I was really surprised. They, uh, that I think let it go may have been the song they opened with, which was kind of shocked me. Yeah. We, we've always liked the, the rockers from those guys. And, and that's where kind of hysteria kind of went off the tracks. I think for some people, you don't have those just the, you know, guitar, drums, bass, another guitar and, and vocals and the recording it's layers and layers and layers but uh, Mutt Lang just did wonders with this album, and and those guys had such a problem recording that they they couldn't get Mutt Lang right in the beginning, and then they worked with um, I think it's Jim Steinman that, mm-hmm. that did the oh stuff, and it didn't work out with him. And then Mutt Lang was able to come back in. Then Rick Allen, of course, had his accident, had his lost his left arm, and you know that put them back more. So it was like almost like five years before in between Pyromania and Hysteria when they came out. And it was such a a leap forward, you know, musically and sonically that it was just I think it just blew a lot of people away and it hey, and it it brought the chicks. Well and honestly the the sound of it was was really ahead of its time as far as like clarity and, and you know, the, all the different recording techniques that they used. Uh, for those that don't know, Mutt Lang, uh he's got to be the all time as far as sales. Uh, the best producer of all time because he did what back in black photograph uh, hysteria. I mean, just with that, you have well over a hundred million albums. And then, you know, those Shania Twain albums, like I don't like country music, but uh, my wife was reading a, a list of like the top 20 albums of all time sales wise. And I mean, it's Shania Twain's all over that, um, you know, and then he's done a lot of other things, but for those that don't know, he's basically like a recluse. Like there's not just a ton of pictures of the guy and, uh, he was a perfectionist, almost to the point of being, you know, ins- you know, almost borderline in insanity. Like I was listening to a recent interview with Phil Collins. Like it took them three years to record Animal. Like they were working on that for three years, and then, you know, he was just a perfectionist on how everything um, would sound. Well, as far as me, like I said, Hysteria came out. I would have been like eleven years old, and this is real funny because this was a total sign of the times. There was a girl that lived uh, a block away from me, and she had an older sister. And so uh, this girl, she would always have, like, her older sister's tapes or whatever. And we would, like, hang out, um, you know, in the summers and after school or whatever. And one day she had this cassette tape, and all it said was Def Leppard Hysteria on it. 
but he didn't have any of the names of the songs. And I, from like an early age, was just fascinated with rock and roll. And so I was, I got her to record it for me, you know, make me a tape, but I didn't know, didn't have the track listing of any songs. So for like the first year that I had that, I just kind of had to guess at what I thought the names were uh, of the songs. I just became infatuated with it. And um, I, this, I was friends with this guy. He had a much older brother. And for whatever reason, they came over to my house one time and I was listening to it. And he was like, you really like Def Leppard? I'm like, yeah. And he's like, do you know Bring It On The Heartbreak? And I'm like, what are you talking about? And he's like, you know, they've had three albums before this. And I'm like, you're crazy. This is their first album. And so then, you know, I found out all about the rest of um, uh, their catalog. But uh, I was telling you before we came on, they were my first hard rock concert. It was on the Adrenalize tour. It was in Memphis. Uh, still, They were still performing in the round. And just probably like one of my favorite concert experiences, getting to see them. And uh, I've just been a fan ever since. Now, I'll admit, you know, once Adrenalize hit, the consistency for me has gone down but still on all those albums i can find something that i like um and honestly i i really liked the last album they did it had the song dangerous on it and let's go and broken broken hearted i think it was a little bit more return to form but um yeah it just bugs me how much people knock this album and i think some i think it's kind of like hating nickelback it's just kind of the thing to do amongst some people right and and let, let me just take you <coughs> to back to that time when that girl had that cassette and you like played the hell out of it. Weren't they great times Man, when you do stuff like that? You, you would spend like weeks and months with it, with albums. Now it's, there's so much stuff out there that you, you can't really delve into something like, like crazy <clears throat> like that because there's always something else like the next week that's out or there's, there's a hundred other bands, but like back in those times, like, you lived with these albums for months and months and months. And, you know, and a lot of it came down to economics. When I was a, a kid, I had a paper out. So, you know, I only had so much money in my pocket to, to go to the record store. And it was like, okay, am I going to get this album this week or, or that album next week? And the good thing about that was three of us used to go. So we would each get a different album every week. And then we could switch them back and forth and tape them for every for each other. But, like, the, you didn't have that that saturation and you really lived the music then. You were able to just like absorb it and you knew every note and every word. And even like you, you didn't even know the titles of the songs, but I can guarantee you, you knew those songs. Oh, for sure. And that's one of my biggest complaints with music these days. And I'm guilty. I'm as guilty as anybody. There can be albums that come out by some of my favorite, like <clears throat> there's this alt country band called Sunvolts, one of my favorite bands. They put out an album last week that Chris and I have literally been you know, talking about for, for a while now and <clears throat> it's not good, but I was going to say that's the one you guys didn't like, right? Right. But I based all that on spinning about two minutes of each song and I'm like, Oh, this is terrible. Whereas in the past, if I would have bought that album, you know, I would, like you said, like if I'd saved up my money to buy something, I would give it every chance I possibly could. I tell you an album that, uh, uh, I did that on was uh Tesla psychotic supper. When I initially got it, I didn't like it as much as I do now. Now it's my favorite Tesla album. Oh, that's an but amazing you, album. But, you know, I, I spent $17, $18 on the CD. And, you know, when you're in high school, that's a lot of money. And mm -hmm. so, you know, you had to spend some time with it. I agree with you. Uh, and so much of those memories are tied back to, you know, listening to, to, to music during that time in your life. Like, I have a group text with these two guys that were my best friends growing up, and... 
you know, I was texting the other day. He texted me a picture, I think, of some, maybe the Motley Crue album or stuff tied or whatever. And I was like, do you remember you and me driving to get that? You know, you don't have that. Um, you don't have those kind of memories with a lot of other things like you do music. And I mean, my love for Alice in Chains, uh, he and I had gone to uh, a, a festival and we're driving back. And I was in like ju- a junior in college. And he played the, uh, we were playing that Last Action Hero soundtrack and had the song, What the Hell Have I on it by Alice in Chains. And at that moment, I became a massive Alice in Chains fan. And it's just, it's neat to have that. We all have those moments. And I just can't think of anything else that really unifies you with other people like that other than musical moments for the most part, at least amongst people, you know, that that love music the same way we do. Oh, absolutely. And there's there's still certain albums and songs that I can remember exactly where I was when I first heard that, you know, like when I, the very first time I heard Van Halen one, you hear running with the devil, you hear the, the, that, and it was like, what is this? Oh my God. And you know, you don't have as many of those moments now as you, as you did back in the day. There's still some, don't get me wrong, but you, you're just over, oversaturated. And I'm, I'm probably used that word 10 times, but um, I, I think, I think it's fitting. There's just so much stuff out there now, but, and you know, there's too much out there now, I think, actually. Yeah, too much and too much access, and that's why our concert tickets yep. are so expensive. <laughs> uh, that's right. Because they're not making any money off selling records. Hey, before we actually start on the album, I was going to tell you about something I want you to give a listen to when we um, when we get through recording. Do you know who Matt Nathanson is? Nathanson? No. All right. So he's a singer-songwriter, does pop music or whatever, but I, you've seen him before. He was on that metal show one time. Um, and you know, he, I mean, his music is as far from, you know, hard rock or heavy metal as he possibly can be, but he's a huge metal head and, and hard rock fan. And he just wanted to be on the show just to talk, you know, music and metal. And he didn't even want to promote his stuff. He's like, nobody's going to buy my stuff, you know, that, that watches this. Well, last year he did an EP of only Def Leppard covers, but he interpreted them like in a singer songwriter style. And it is so good. And like Joe Elliott tweeted about it, like, we're, wow, you know, you've taken these songs. And, and so it's on, um, I think it's called the, the Def Leppard EP, and it's Matt Nathanson. And like his version of Coming Under Fire is just, I don't know, it's, it's, it's not something you're going to listen to all the time, but it's really, it really also makes you realize what good songwriters they were because here he, you know, they wrote the songs. He's just arranging it a little bit differently. You know, now that you say that with the, that metal show, I, I do remember a guy coming on there and, and them saying that he's not a, you know, a metal artist, but he is a huge fan of it. Now that you say that name, I do remember that. I will have to check that out. I have, I have them written down. Yeah, it's really, really good. All right. So like I said, we're going to talk about the album hysteria today and, uh, we're going to go through kind of track by track, I guess, kind of give our Siskel and Ebert on it, uh, except they did movies, but we'll just pretend that, uh, they did, uh, album reviews. Uh, Steve, you know, like we said, like I said earlier, when Mutt Lang recorded this, he basically wanted to record it in this with the same uh, intention that Michael Jackson had recorded Thriller. When Michael Jackson wrote Thriller or whoever helped him write it, their intention was that every song on there could potentially be a, a, a single. And so if you've got that burden on you, I guess, it's going to take a long time to record an album because you want perfection. And they did release, I think, seven singles, at least in America. And 
when this came out, the video, of course, it wasn't the big success that everybody that, that it everybody thinks it was. It was a slow build for them because the first song they released in America and in Canada, but not anywhere else in the world. Everybody everywhere else, Animal was the first single. The lead single is the song um, "Women," so it's the first song, first release. Your thoughts on that song, Steve? And the the funny thing is about about this song uh, that is. And it's funny that it's the first song in the album. It's the first song released as a thing. And literally, when I when I I'm not recording at my house. I'm recording in another location. Literally, when I got in my my vehicle with my computer and everything to come down here, women was on XM radio when I got turned the car on. So I thought that was a good sign. That's and an I, omen. I have, yeah, I was like, holy crap! I'm like, that, I can't believe this song's on. And I love it. I think it's a great song. The the video for it was cool. I remember seeing the video for it. It has the, the kid on the skateboard, and it's like half comic book and half, you know, Def Leppard playing. It's got this kid and everything like that. But it's a it's one of the heavier songs on there, and I think they released that, that they just wanted to say, hey, you know what? We've been gone for a long time. We are back. And I think that they kind of maybe <coughs> wanted to use that song as a bridge from the old Def Leppard Pyromania and uh, high and dry, maybe as a bridge to the newer music that they were going to be putting out. I think that's a good uh, that's a good analysis of it because uh, it does have some of the you know I guess you would say sweet studio touches to it that the album is going to have, but it's also kind of got a hard rock feel on it. This is one that's really grown with me over over time. I would say when I first started listening to this album, it wasn't you know I didn't think that much of it. Um, I do now. Actually, it's one of the ones that I, I listen to the most off of it. And I love the guitar solo on it. For, there's something about the guitar solo that's always seemed really neat and cool. It doesn't sound like uh, uh, other guitar solos, that, uh, that, especially that they do. Um, but yeah, I, now that you say that, it makes complete sense that that was the first song they released. Yeah, I, I always enjoyed it. I like the I like the heaviest heaviness of it. I mean, because if you listen to our podcast, you know we we do a lot of hard rock and metal, and it's just it's got that old old feel, but a new sound to it. And I, I think it was a perfect way to just kind of bridge the two eras there, especially since they hadn't been along for away for so long. All right, so Steve, there's only <clears throat> three songs on this album that uh, that I don't um, that I think are missteps, and Rocket is. Uh, the second song "Rocket" is one of the missteps, in my opinion, and I seem to be in the minority on this. I think it's a stupid song, uh, and people really like it, especially in concert. Um, I just have never enjoyed it, and I did a just a smat a, a, a small amount of research before this. At one point during the song, you know, there's some there's some lyrics that you can't interpret that just sound kind of. It, it, that are in the background and they're reciting the um the um the chorus to gods of war backwards on it but i just never have enjoyed it i don't like that long breakdown in it uh it kind of reminds me of the breakdown on whole lot of love I, I just i think it's just there for noise and it just does nothing for me but i'm in the minority i think on that a lot of people like it it was a single the video was big, and, and people love it when you play in concert, but it's one, if you're like, hey, you could edit a few songs off of this album, it would be one. Well, you we're going to have to split on this one, because I, I absolutely love this song, and it's funny that you say that it's um, kind of, you, you kind of think that breakdown is like a whole lot of love. 
there's a version that they do with this song. It's actually the very first show that they play with Vivian Campbell. They play at um, the stadium in Sheffield where they're from. And it's the very first show with, with Vivian Campbell. And they do a version of this song. It's like probably, <coughs> I'm going to say probably they elongate it to probably about eight or nine minutes. And they do a breakdown in the middle. And, and they do part of A Whole Lot of Love in that version. But there is such a shredding guitar solo in that version from Phil Collins. It is, it's fantastic. But even the album version, I absolutely love. I love the chorus in that one. And, um, and, and even the video is cool. So we're going to have to, we're going to have to agree to disagree on that one. Well, like you said, if we all agreed on everything, it wouldn't be very, it wouldn't be very oh, good absolutely. podcast. No, that's true. That's true. Yeah. We're definitely going to, we're, we're parting ways on that one. I, I, I think it's a fantastic song. I, I love it. Like I always I, have. Like I said, I admit I'm in the minority. Whenever you go see them and they play it, the place goes crazy. So, uh, <clears throat> just make it be your bathroom break song, right? Just shorter, shorter bathroom lines. All right, the third song is "Animal," and "Animal" was, I believe, the first international single that they released. But they didn't want to release it uh, in America first because it wasn't quite as as hard or heavy as you know "Pyromania" or "High and Dry." Um, this was one of the big videos, you know, the big kind of like circus tent uh, mm-hmm. in in the video. Um, I think <laughs> it's one. Of, I think it's one of the better songs on the album. I realize it's not as heavy as as other Def Leppard stuff. And, you know, the lyrics are, are kind of juvenile at times, but um, nonetheless, um, um, one that I would definitely not cut off the album. No, I, and again, it's, I, I love the the big chorus of this song. And, and this is one of the songs I think that the production of the album really shines on this song. Which should it's if it took sounds, three years. Yeah, well, it absolutely. And, I, I could see why, but it's such a full sounding song. And I, I, I go crazy. I love the chorus because I was uh, going down. Uh, we had to go get some stuff for my wife this morning. And so I had it on in the car just to just to give it a once over before we recorded today. And she's like, I don't know why some people don't like this album. And then like and she's like doing her little little dance back and forth when this came on in the car. So um, even my wife likes it. See, I think the album was the perfect mix in the 19 late 80s for women and men to like um it had hysteria it had love bites on it to get the women in but then it had some it had some good rock songs um you know you're not going to go to an iron maiden concert and find 50 percent women there you, you know, are not you're, you're not uh, and i mean if you're if you're looking at it from a marketing standpoint it was all it was it was smart uh of them to do that so the next song is one that honestly i could do without and that's Love Bites. Now, I know that was probably the second biggest song off the album, and I'm not disliking it because it was a hit by, by any means. To me, the song is just, it's too long. And I was reading that Mutt Lang had presented it to them almost as a country song. Now, how it went, goes from almost being a country song to this, I don't know. I don't hate it, but to me, it drags on a, a, a little bit. And um, the... You know, to me, some of the lyrics, I mean, it was the 80s. I get that. I mean, I'm not, you know, trying to pretend they're Bob Dylan or not. But some of the lyrics on it, I don't like. Now, at the time, I love the song. But just as I've gotten older, it's not as big of a deal to me. Yeah, it's it's one of the ones I could, uh, you know, kind of live out. I, I don't skip it when it comes <laughs> on. It's um, it's not bad. And, and lo- when they do it live, that's the song that Vivian Campbell gets his longer guitar solo in. 
that's the the song that they feature him on, which oh, I wish they would feature him on a, on like a rocking song. But it's one I could definitely do without. I could see the attraction for it, the you know the you know that's the one that's bringing some of them females in through the door. Right. So I mean, <clears throat> I can't knock them for producing it. All right. So the biggest song of their career, the song that some people think is the only song they've ever recorded. Pour some sugar on me. I want to get your thoughts on this one first, Steve. Um, I I like it. You know what? And and this is a song that I wouldn't be putting on any playlists because it it was one of them songs where it was just pounded into your head. But if you listen to it and you haven't listened to it in a while, it it's a really good song. It's catchy. It's a it's a it's a good foot tapper, and you know I just. I just picture picture strippers when this song comes on, and you know that's I I like strippers. <laughs> hope, hope your wife's not listening. Um, oh, she knows. All right, so I think a great podcast topic. We, maybe we could do a joint podcast on this. Would be songs the radio has ruined for you. This, that's a great idea. This would be in my top five song. Like this, uh, this uh, you shook me all night long. I knew um, you were going to say that because I was going to say the same exact song. You know, uh, Bon Jovi, Living on a Prayer. Um, there, there, there are certain songs. Um, gosh, almost any of those Boston songs off that first album. Um, this is one of the songs that radio has ruined for me. Uh, now, at the time, uh, man, I thought this was awesome. I thought it was great. You know, and I just made a new Def Leppard playlist this morning on Spotify, and I left this one off, and I was like, if I never hear it again, I'm, you know, I'm fine with that. It'd be a good day, yeah. Do you know the story behind this song? They recorded it. They were done with the album. And this was one that they recorded at the end. This and Armageddon. It. And basically, they just went into the cafeteria and just made up some like nonsensical lyrics. And I think at some point, they got the title. I get, you know, they're British, so they're big into drinking their tea and somebody said here pour some sugar on me or something like that i think to put some sugar in the in their tea and the lyrics of it make no sense i mean there's no no there's no getting around that it's just you know jumbled words and phrases that don't make any sense but uh now when you see them live and in concert even though i've i've heard the song a hundred million times on the radio when you see it live it's still it's still fun and still highlighted the show uh, they usually close out their main set with it but uh it's just funny to me that um that's the one that gets all the attention. Like they were on Good Morning America the week that they went into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, you know, and that's what they played, um, which I thought was interesting. You never, you know, whenever you see them on TV playing somewhere, that's usually what they play. But it, the radio's just ruined it for me. Yeah, it, it was it was way overplayed, and and our on our classic rock station now they they still play that quite a bit here. And actually, I think they actually play Bring It On The Heartbreak a little more, but you will, you know, at a given time, just throw on the radio station and this song, you'd, you'd hit it. And um, like you said, good song, but just totally overplayed, you know, ruined for, you know, and that's a great idea for, for a show. We'll have to do that song that radio ruined for you. Yeah. But there, there's uh, this, is definitely, this is definitely, you know, in the top five of that category. Oh, and that uh, Bachman Turner Overdrive, you ain't seen nothing yet. Oh, I just, I mean, just cringeworthy. Just what that stuff makes me feel. All right. Baby, you ain't seen (laughs) It's terrible. All right. So Armageddon, this is my favorite song on the album. 
And if you go see Def Leppard in concert, Vivian Campbell gets to shine a little bit. They at least let him play the intro to this every time. And this is usually when he introduces Vivian, uh, you know, and uh, talks about him being from Ireland, at least every time that I've seen them. Um, this, to me, is just a fun rocker. One of the more straight-ahead rockers on the album. Like we said, it was one that... Um, that they was one of the last two songs recorded. So even without Armageddon it and Pour Some Sugar On Me, you still have a strong album. But those two songs did help a lot in album sales because the album, I think, was had been out for about a year before Pour Some Sugar On Me came out. And uh, I remember, uh, you know, that blew up. And then Armageddon It uh, came out. Um, great video. I think Armageddon It was recorded at that Denver show, the Live in the Round in Your Face. Where they mm-hmm. got a lot of clips for a lot of their videos, uh, but like I said, this is this may be my favorite Def Leppard song, and it's definitely my favorite song on the album. I I I, you know, not to you know sound like we're in sync, but on this one we definitely are. And this this is a song that the uh, you know it, when the when I listened to the album, I was like, okay, you know, it, it's good. But this was a song that the the video really really made you want to. Uh, made you want to take another look at this song that, Oh my God, this song kicks ass because the it's, it's all concert footage. And like when it kicks in and you got Joe Elliott putting his hand up in the air, like it just, that just sums up the song for me. Like, let's go get on your feet. And, um, and when this song came out in the car today, my wife was really rocking out and I was like, okay, cool. And, uh, but it's just, it's, it's a, it's a great song. And I like how when they have the video, the, the, uh, the intro to the song is different too. Yeah, great. One, probably my favorite video out of out of the ones that got released, you know, for the album. Um, and so that's side one. If for all you kids out there that remember the tape days, so every song one, two, three, four, five, six. Every song on the first um, side was a was a single, and not just a single, a successful single. That's pretty impressive. That's crazy. All right, so we're gonna switch over to side two, and this Flip is. Yeah, flip it over, and this is what I think helps separate this album for a lot of other albums for me, is this is the side that necessarily doesn't get as much attention, but it's 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 got a stinker or two on there, but it's got some good songs. And Gods of War was, com- you know, you, you have lyrics like Pour Some Sugar On Me and Animal and, uh, and Rocket, which are just kind of nonsensical. This is a song with a lot of substance, um... Uh, it's a song that I think Steve Clark was very instrumental in. It has a long intro, uh, probably the I mean, not probably it's got to be the most serious song of their career. And the chorus of this I think is one of their best choruses. And like I said, when I didn't know the names of the of the songs or anything, this was one of the ones that always stood out to me. And it, it was completely different from anything they had done. Especially anything you were hearing on the radio. I mean, Poison wasn't singing about this at the time. Either was Bon Jovi or, you know, uh, Warrant. And a very serious song uh, on the heels of the right, right about the time the Cold War is going to end. But um, really kind of made you think about a lot of things. And was a you know, as far as I know, the only real political statement they've ever made with their music. And uh, I love the long intro on like that. Uh, Live in the round in your face with Steve Clark playing the uh, Gibson guitar uh, on this, and uh, this is one of the standout tracks to me on the album. 
Yeah, this is this is by far my favorite song on the album. It's the heaviest, and I absolutely this. If there's one takeaway from this album, is that their background vocals are just absolutely phenomenal. And this song always resonated with me. I love it. And as far as political statements go, there is a song, and it's on. Uh, I can't think of what what album it's on. It's on the album that Promises is on. It's, Euphoria. Uh, it's, a song, it's on Euphoria. It's a song called Paper Sun. Yeah. And I think that's about the uh, like the conflict uh, between the the British and the uh, IRA or whatever faction was going on with that. But and and that's a fantastic song too. So if you want to check that out, it's it's great. The solos in that song is fantastic. But Gods of War, very cool. And you have the at the end, you have the you know the Ronald Reagan uh, snippets from his speeches and stuff like that. And you have the you can hear like the rockets going off and. You know, it, you, like you said, you got that long beginning, and then you you got that great just bass line coming in when they start, and it, it's a very heavy song, you know, lyrically and musically, and it's just I think it's it's a great, you know, when they pick the order of songs on this album, I think you could not have a better song to start off the second side of an album than than Gods of War out of all these songs. You know, we haven't talked much about the individual members of the band. <clears throat> But Steve Clark was kind of the opposite of Phil Collin. I, I, I feel like, but I'm not saying either one's bad or, or, or any better, but they played off each other well. Phil Collin, you can tell when he plays, he's kind of a, you know, he's doesn't play as much by feel in, as Steve Clark did. Um, Steve gave them a sound and an energy, I think, honestly, that, that's kind of been lacking since he died. Uh, and this is one of those songs where I think that uh, that takes place. And, you know, they love showing that clip of him. Like when I saw him, he was like, let me introduce my good friend Steve Clark. Uh, you know, obviously he was dead. And they, they played the snippet of the intro to that song. Let's talk about that for a second. Like, so it was originally Steve Clark and Pete Willis. And Pete hey. left the band. Phil comes in. And um, I think Phil came in like halfway through the Pyromania sessions. And so this would have been his first album to really put uh, a, his stamp on it. And, you know, Phil came from a very, very, very heavily glam uh, background, which all of them did. Like, if you listen to their uh, their covers uh, album, it's almost all, like, British glam rock. So, yeah, I mean, all, yeah. you know, th- there's a lot of people that want like to try to classify them as part of that new wave of British heavy metal in the beginning. But they, they, are, they are much more T-Rex and... Uh, you know David Bowie that they are, you know Black Sabbath or Iron Maiden. But yeah, they, uh, were, more, they were more rock and roll than than metal. Yeah, and Absolutely. they and, and they've they've you know to their credit they've never said we're a heavy metal band. No, you know. Um, anyway, so talk a little bit about kind of Steve Clark and and his what you think he brought to the band versus like what Phil Collin brings to the band. I I think Steve Clark was pretty much. Um, the guy that they kind of went to for for the more melodic stuff, because if you if you watch when they when they play live, Steve Clark was more more like I'd say deliberate in his playing, and where Phil Collin would just be kind of like you know tearing it up, and you had and and you're right they did play off one another. It, it's kind of like if you're an Iron Maiden fan when you listen to those first albums with with when Adrian Smith comes into the band. And and that's kind of where they they parallel too. They had one album out with Dennis Stratton and Dave Murray, and then the second album, well, actually two albums for Def Leppard. But you know, and it became a different band sonically 
for Iron Maiden when Adrian Smith came in there, and it became a different band sonically when when Phil Collins came in there, and and I think that they they just they, you know, they're like peanut butter and jelly. They they just they really gel together, and but you could you could pick out who's pretty mm-hmm. much playing what on a lot of these songs. Yeah, and I was you know one of the things I was reading about uh, a couple weeks ago when they went to record Adrenalize was Steve had written you know, helped write some of the songs on Adrenalize. Well, they didn't hire Vivian until after it was done. So Phil said like there, I had to do all the guitars and I kind of had to try to approach them the same way Steve did and try to play like Steve, which I think was, I think he said was very hard for him. I'm sure it was. All right. So, so the second song on the second side is don't shoot shotgun. Um, I don't have any strong feelings where either really uh, either way on this. Um, I think it has a great booming course that uh, of course, uh, was big back in the day and I don't skip it. I just don't really have any strong feelings about it. Yeah. It's, it's kind of a middle of the road album or song on this album. I, I don't like, like you, I don't hate it, but um, you know, I'm not in love with it. I won't skip it, but it's one that, you know, it's, you're not really getting that fist in the air when you, when you hear this song It's just one like it's say, Oh, okay. You know, I'm, I'm not skipping it, but I'm not really jamming out to it. And I think that's most people's opinion. Uh, of it i've never heard anybody really say anything bad about it but conversely i've never heard anybody say a lot of good stuff about it either um the next song is run right uh this one i kind of feel i like it a little bit more than uh don't shoot shotgun uh i like the course of it it's kind of you know uh kind of hard charging there during the course but uh it's one that comes on the radio and you're driving you might bump the speed up five or ten miles an hour uh but it, it it was one that had a lot of um of, of that 80s slick production to it. But like I said, I'm, I'm not really that strong either way on it, but I don't skip it. Yeah. It, it's a little more up tempo. And this, this song and love and affection, they're two songs that when, when they were recording hysteria, um, they kind of had a little break there and those songs were done and they did a couple festivals. They did, they played Donington. They played a couple of monsters of rock shows and run riot was one of the songs that they, they premiered from this album and, 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 you know, the people, they liked it, but, um, they mustn't have thought they liked it a whole lot because it's, you know, like way down on the second side, but it's, it's good. It, it, like you said, it's a little more kicked up than don't shoot shotgun. And, um, it's got a, it's got a good groove to it. This one, you're, you're getting the fist back up in the air. <laughs> All right. So I'm going to turn this one over to you. The next song is hysteria. I know you have strong feelings about it. Absolutely love this song, and I am not a, a a big ballad guy, and I I think it's it's fantastic. I love just the 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 feel of the song, and uh, we've done a couple of ballad episodes on our podcast, and and I say a lot of times for me the ballads they have to have that that just catch your breath moment. Of, I don't know if it's certain notes that are played or you know a certain melody, but this song is one that does it for me. And I've always liked this song because I remember listening to this album the first time and, you know, you're going through and, you know, you're listening to it, you're absorbing everything. And, you know, you had Run Riot. It's like you said, it was a little more kicked up than the song before. And then this comes on. I'm like, whoa, what is, you know, what is this? And and I'm thinking, wow, this is way, way better than that slow song on the other side. Top five ballad for me. Um, never, it never gets old. Um I love like when you see them in concert, regardless of who's in the band, the dual guitar solo, um, yep. you know, is just amazing. Um, I do prefer 
how they used to play it in the 80s and early 90s where they would start it off with a savage just playing the bass the uh the bass melody to it you right. know and then the band would come in um but uh obviously the name hysteria uh hysteria was the name given to the album <clears throat> and the the title comes from you know, we haven't even mentioned this yet. Rick Allen lost his arm. The drum, your drummer loses your arm. Like I can't think of almost a worse scenario for a band other than somebody dying than your drummer loses his arm uh, before they record this. And it was uh, in resp- he said it was just so much hysteria over the fact that he had lost his arm. It's where they got the title from. Um, I really think uh, this one was was made almost with the intention of playing it to a large arena uh, because. It's not so slow that it's going to lull you to sleep. You know, it's the tempo picks up and it never gets real fast. But you know, it's a mid-tempo song. Uh, to me, one of the showcases when you see them in concert, um, I'm not real big on like a band has to play a certain song. Like if I go see them, but this is one. This would be one if if Def Leppard didn't play this when I went and saw them. Now, you know, they didn't play Hysteria. You know, it kind of stinks. Um, which is is really. Like I'm, I know you're you're not a big ballad fan, and, and and a couple other podcast friends of ours aren't. Ballads don't bother me. Now I'm not to the Sonny Pooney level, but um, you know who is this? Come on, yeah. Uh, hey, does he have any Michael Bolton albums? You think? Uh, he, I, I don't, I can't speak, <laughs> but I would not be surprised. Uh, we love you, Sonny. Uh, anyway, so one of the centerpieces uh, of the album for me, and when you see him in concert, uh, is Hysteria. Um, just a great, great song. This album would not be what it is. Obviously, it wouldn't have the title, but this album to me, this is one. If you left off, it would really, it would really harm it in the long run. Um, going on to the next song, I said that I thought there were three missteps on the album. This to me is the biggest misstep on the album. To me, it sounds like, hey guys, we got to have another song. Which they said all of them wanted to be singles. This one sounds to me like a B side, and that's excitable and. I didn't like it back then, and I don't like it now. I was real close to just dropping the F-bomb here about this song. <laughs> um, I, I can't stand this song. When this came out, after Hysteria, I was like, oh, my God, that was so good. And this comes out, I'm like, what is this piece of crap? Like, that's one, even though um, when we talk about the next song, I that I that when we get into that, I'll, I'll talk about that. This would be one that I would, like, if I was listening to it on vinyl, I would get up, walk across the room, pick the needle up, and put the next song on. It's just, it's a waste of vinyl space on there. It is, and it's almost like, hey, we're in the 80s. We've got all these new production techniques. We're going to see how many we can put together on yeah, one song. Yeah, let's just throw a bunch of crap in there. Yeah, it, uh, it, to me, it was, it's kind of like uh, that new metal movement. Oh, we got we got to tune down. we got to add drum loops. we got to, you know, you had to add all of this stuff. And to me, it was just like, Wow, we've got all this technology at our disposal. We're just going to throw it on there for the sake of using it, whether it sounds good or not. Yeah, bad move, bad move, Def Leppard. And and real quick, back to Hysteria. Before they came up with that title, the album was going to be called Animal Instinct. Saw that. I saw that. Um, I still think that's a cool title. Uh, that album is cool. Title. All right, the last song on the album to me, it's the unsung hero of the album is Love and Affection. And I'm glad you brought up them playing that in the festivals because on one of the editions I have, it may have been the first reissue. They actually have that um, on. Uh, I think it's. I think it's an extra on the first uh, reissue of Hysteria. And honestly, uh, I prefer that live version a little bit better than the one on the album because it ha- it's a little bit faster. 
Um, but nonetheless, love and affection, um, where I said Armageddon was my favorite and then like Gods of War, an animal, this, this is on up there in my opinion with them. A great mid-tempo song that when you hear it live, it's a, it's, it's a little more kicked up. You know, they played it on the, uh, Viva Hysteria, uh, CD, uh, uh, CD and DVD, which is the first time they've played it in a long time. Um, I absolutely love it. Yeah, it's it's a it is the unhung, unsung hero of the album, and um, just great great feel to the song. Another mid tempo, maybe a little little higher, kicked up than Hysteria, maybe, but just like like fantastic background vocals, and I mean, I think this song actually belongs like maybe on side one somewhere. Maybe if you boot Love Bites out of there, or yeah. throw Hysteria there, and like move this up somewhere. I think that it's it's a shame that it's buried or maybe put it after hysteria and then you know then you could just pick up the needle and you know put right. on another album after that after, you know go hysteria love and affection and then you could just you know forget about excitable I think you're right I think this song suffers a lot from song placement because um you know a lot of a lot of the like you're really like I like to talk about the black crows a lot because they're my favorite band but a lot of their albums have really strong album closers. But to me, a lot of the bands from the 80s um, that we like, the stuff toward the end, for the most part, was usually kind of the the stuff that they didn't think was the best. And uh, I, that could not have been... There's no way you can have Excitable on there and think that it's better than Love and Affection. I mean, if you do, you've got... I mean, you got some serious... You need to rethink things. Yeah, uh, <laughs> I agree with you. You delete help. Yeah, help. You delete Love Bites and put this in uh, the same spot, and uh, it would be big. I think it would have been a huge single had they pushed it. So. Absolutely. All right, Steve. So that was the um, that was the album. Um, the tour was hugely successful, and they played in the round in your face, and you were lucky enough to actually see them on that tour. I was. I was lucky enough to see them on that tour. I saw them on July 27th, 1988. However, it was not in the round. Really? Yeah, I saw them at the Allentown Fairgrounds, and that is a place that's just, um, it's it's an old fairground, and it's, uh, you know, one of them where they have the, the, the horse race track, and then they have the the stage, and then you, you're on the track, and then they have the grandstand further back. So it wasn't a place that was conducive to um, to in the round, which which I think is kind of, kind of cool although i would i've never seen them in the round i would love to have seen them in the round but um we got to see them and and i remember that day there's an amusement park uh, a couple miles from from the venue and uh, my girlfriend and i at the time went to went to the amusement park for the day and we're like oh you know we'll go at about you know four o'clock and we'll go over it's just a couple miles away we get there and the line is like half a mile long to get in i'm like oh so we, we walk, I'm like, you know what, let's walk. So we start walking along. I said, we're going to see someone I know in line here. Probably 30 yards from the from the entrance, I see people that I know. And then I'm like, hey, what's up? And they're like, hey, thanks for parking the car. Come on and come on. We saved your spot for you. So we literally jumped like right in the front of the line. And, and it was still people just like going in, going in. And Europe opened up for them. And we literally – got in the door when Europe started and it was 
very annoying because, uh, you know, sorry, Europe fans out there. They they played Final Countdown, which there's another song that radio killed for everybody. Right. And um, they but they were fantastic. They were fantastic. But they open up with Final Countdown and then they close the show with it. I was like, fail, fail, You're kidding. fail, swear to God. And I was like, oh, that was so stupid. But the the show was was sold out. Um, and I'll give you I'll give you the set list real quick here. Stage fright, rock rock till you drop. Women, too late for love. Hysteria, guitar solo. Gods of war, die hard. The hunter, bringing on the heartbreak. Fool and animal. Pour some sugar on me. Rock of ages. Uh, love bites and photograph. So you did not even have Armageddon it in that set at that point. Wow, just insane. So, was it the same stage that they used for In the Round, but it just wasn't like in the center? I think it was just a mix of of what they could fit on the stage because it's a small stage. Because I saw Kiss there in the Hot in the Shade tour when they had Leon the the Sphinx, uh-huh. and the top of the Sphinx head was cut off because it wouldn't fit on the stage, so it looked like a lobotomized Leon up there. That's so funny. that's. The, that's the size stage we were dealing with. But, I mean, you know, they, they rocked the place. And um, uh, it was fantastic because I remember at one point um, there was a, a fence on the side where, where you came in. And I remember looking at one point during the show, it looked like there was many people outside that fence as there were actually in the concert. So there probably had to be five or 6,000 people that just came that couldn't get in because it has 14,000 people um, you know, sold out on the uh, on the thing in Julian Gill's book. He has a like a Def Leppard touring history book, and um, but it was crazy. They they called for they called for like more cops and people were fifty people were uh, needed medical attention for for heat exhaustion during the show, and there were people just being passed up over the crowd for the the whole the whole show. It was it was just a crazy crazy like one of them hot days and. Um, but it was just it was fantastic. That was one you left going, wow, I'm so glad that I went to that show. And I think that if at that point, even though we had tickets, if I went to the end of the line to get into that show, I don't think I would have gotten in there. Wow. Yeah, they were that big. And I mean, on this last tour last summer with Journey, they were selling out baseball stadiums. Yeah. And we we could have saw them. They were they played when we were in Nashville last year. That's right. At the uh, at the Rockin' Pod. Um, yep. yeah, I mean, just there, I, I love going to see them and, uh, I would say like f- that was considered hair metal or hair, whatever you want to call it. You, you got to think the only two bands that can still do come close to even do anything like that are them and Bon Jovi. Um, oh, definitely. definitely. And you, you catch a trend there. Those are also the two that people love to hate, mm-hmm. but yet they're still selling out. They're yeah. the bands that now they're, it's cool to hate them. Right, right. It's kind of like it's kind of like if I'm if I'm like the lead singer, what's his name, Chad of of Nickelback. I enjoy people keeping making fun of me because I'm selling out arenas. You know, absolutely. Hey, if they're hating you, they're 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 still they're still watching you. Right. Well, all right, Steve. So that wraps up um, Hysteria. I saw them too. I didn't see them on Hysteria. I saw them on the Adrenalize tour, and they were in the round uh, for that. There was no opening band, and uh, still one of my favorite concert moments i think they should have toured on the anniversary of hysteria i think they should have done in the round that would have been great um, i would see them in the round i've seen them many times since then but never in the round so uh, obviously you've talked about 
Pyromania and High and Dry. What are your thoughts? I know you're a huge fan of the Slang album. I love the Slang album. I think it's great. I think it has the the absolute best Def Leppard song on there. It's a song called Gift of Flesh. And if you listen to this song, when it comes on, you're thinking, there's no way in hell that this is Def Leppard, but it is a fantastic rocking song. It like stops you in your tracks when you hear the the, the riff when it riff when it comes on. I, I remember I remember when that album came out. I was in college, and I remember still going to like the music store and getting it on CD. And um, I was like, "Wow, the the grunge and alternative movement has really worked its way into Def Leppard." I agree with you, though. I don't think it's a bad album. I like I like uh, the song "Work It Out." Uh, Blood That's runs good. Blood runs cold. Um, I think all I want is everything's a pretty good uh, ballad uh, for them. Yeah, and, and, and also that album is recorded on acoustic drums. That's right. That's right. Because yeah, because he was going to get away from Rick was going to get away from the um, uh, the electric drums. Um, yep. Were you a fan of the Euphoria album? Yeah, I like that. Like I said, uh, it has uh, promises is on there in the song. Um, check out the song Paper Sun. It is it is really good. It's got Demolition Man's on there. Um, there. There's some good stuff on there. You could you could take something from I think every Def Leppard album and, and get something get something good from them. And and they're a band that uh, unlike Bon Jovi, they're staying true to themselves pretty much of what they put out. They you know there's always some rock and stuff in there. They're you know they they did do that country crossover with whatever whoever they did Tim it with McGraw. I, I, Tim McGraw. But they they've pretty much stayed true to their to their roots, at least live. You know, they're not playing these country songs when they when they go out and play. And, you know, we went to see Bon Jovi a couple of years ago, my wife and I, and I was like, half the song, half the concert was ballads, and then there was a lot of, like, crap thrown in there that, you know, you know, a, a, an 80s fan from Bon Jovi, you're just, you're just scratching your head. Well, at this point, they're trying to appeal more to the female audience than anything else. Um, yeah, because that's who's. I think that's who's helping them pack the, uh, pack the stadiums. Well, Steve, it's always fun to have you on here. Uh, I'm glad we got to talk about this album. I've been wanting to do this for a while. I uh, just didn't necessarily know who the right person was because a lot of people seem to hate it. It's uh, if I you put a gun to my head, it's going it's going to be one of my top five I, uh, albums because to to have this many songs on it and only th- it's really two that I can't stand and then Love Bites. Eh, I, at one time, like, but excitable and rocket. Uh, there's no hope for them uh, in my eyes. Uh, why don't you tell everybody where they can find your podcast and where they can find you on social media? You could find us on Facebook on social media. We have a Twitter account, which I need to get on that a little bit more. And um, pretty much anywhere you could find a podcast. If you're listening to this on, you know, if you listen to it on iTunes, we're on Google Play, Castbox, and um, actually we're on Spotify now. And for every episode that we do, whatever songs and albums we talk about, we always uh, put up a uh, Spotify playlist for the week of what we have, what we talk about on the show. So uh, we're out there, and um, you know, look for us on Facebook. You can you can message me personally or friend me on Facebook personally, and you know, we love interacting with the fans. Uh, you know, we're we're so glad that um, you know we get an opportunity to come on shows like like guy you guys with digital, and um, I think we have a great. Uh, bond between like our podcast and and uh and steven and sonny on growing up rock and you know we're, we're we became great friends over the last couple of years and and i and i know that will continue and um so just check us out and and uh you know give give digital some love these guys these guys kick ass well as always steve uh 
appreciate having you on. Yeah, and, and that's the best thing that's come out of a lot of this is is new friendships. I know we had a lot of fun at uh, Rock and Pod uh, last year, and hopefully we're gonna have fun this year, even though your whole crew uh, isn't going to make it. But uh, I think we'll still have a good time. Uh, that's gonna be it for this week, everybody. Uh, Chris and I will be back with you probably next week. Um, I'm going to turn it over to Chris a little bit for the next episode, I think, uh, and uh, let him uh, run with something that he feels really passionate about and likes. So I think that's going to be a good time. Again, thanks for listening, and follow us on Twitter at Digital Killed, and like our page on Facebook and on Instagram, Digital Kill the Radio Star Podcast. Take care and have a good week, everyone.